Before we get to that passage we read just a moment ago, I want us to reflect for a moment on a somewhat familiar passage in your Bible. It's, it's found in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. It's that moment when, when Jesus called His disciples together and He was asking them, He was reflecting with them about what some people were saying about Him out in, in the community. And He got a number of different responses. And then He looks at His disciples and asks them the personal question, who do you say that I am? And Peter, as he often does, he speaks for the rest of the disciples. He's the first one to say anything. And he makes that bold declaration that you're somewhat familiar with. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus knows Peter gets it right. And he says to him, you, you're right, Peter. And on this rock, on this bedrock confession you've just made that I am the Christ, on this confession I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, on the one hand, that is a pretty straightforward verse, and we're very familiar with it. And yet, on the other hand, it, it can be just a little bit confusing because of the word church. You see, a lot of times, when we think of the word church, we, we think of it in one way, but, but yet, as we read through the Scripture, we see that, that Jesus means something else. It's the Greek word, you've heard it before, ekklesia, and it means congregation of people or gathering of people and yet most often when we hear the word church it gets confused with four walls and a steeple and so people ask where do you go to church or they say where is the church and we say well it's 1400 Leeville Pike right next to Winfrey Bryant Middle School but in the Bible, the Bible never refers to the church as a building, but to people, a gathering. In other words, this is not the church. Rather, this is College Hills. You see, when Jesus made that powerful statement that the gates of hell would not prevail against it, he was not talking about a place, but he was talking about people. And when you read those New Testament letters, it's always on the people. And the focus is always on how do we relate together as the people of God, as the church of God. I really like how Andy Stanley puts it. He says, the primary activity of the early church was one anothering one another. I like how he said that. It's one anothering one another. That's what we're about. And so this morning, we're beginning a brand new message series that we're calling uh, One Another, and we're going to look at all of those interesting, or several of those interesting One Another passages. As I mentioned in my bulletin article today, you will find that there's something like a hundred One Another passages all through the New Testament. And in 69 of those cases, there's a command inherent in how we're to relate to one another. And so we read passages like, love one another, or forgive one another or bear with one another or and on and on the list goes and for the next four weeks during the month of, of February we're going to take a different one another passage to explore and some of you have probably noticed that in our series title it's not a typo it's, it looks like this one another really all of these one another relationships describe what a win looks like in church. Now, 
you know, as a church leader, I'm constantly asking, what is the win? And we point to a lot of things. We'll say a, a win is when we meet the budget. Or a win in church is when we have a number of baptisms, like we had this past Sunday. Or a win is, um, is when a, a worship service really goes well. And we could point to a lot of factors that might describe a win. But what I want to say in this message series is that how we relate to one another says something about whether we're winning or, or not. And so we want to be the kind of church that bears one another's burdens. How do we know if we're winning when we're the kind of church that when you're going through a struggle, you're going through a difficulty, you've got brothers and sisters who are coming along beside you and helping you carry that burden, carry that struggle. We want to be the kind of church that, that we're so spiritually alive that we're praying for one another. We're so serious about living for Jesus that we're confessing sins to one another. And this morning, we're going to look at a one another passage that is so important. We're going to look at a passage, and it's going to describe something that every one of us in this room needs. And so today we come to the scripture reading. It comes out of the book of Hebrews. Frankly, the book of Hebrews is a strange and extremely, but extremely fascinating book. Now, Hebrews is unique in your Bible in that it's really not a book at all. This, this material we have, this letter to the Hebrews, it's more like a sermon. In fact, most scholars say that it's the closest thing we have to a sermon in the entire New Testament. And really, when you read the book, you know, you get, kind of get that feel because the preacher is constantly exhorting us. In fact, he himself calls the book a word of exhortation. You find that in Hebrews 13 and verse 22. And any preacher worth his salt knows a sermon is not a sermon unless there's some exhortation. Can I get an amen, Richard? I can count on Richard. Some of you need to follow his example now. Good preaching has an element of exhortation to it, and that's what we find in Hebrews. You see, these Hebrew Christians were struggling with something that every one of us struggles with from time to time. In fact, some of you may be struggling with this this morning. They were tired. They were exhausted. They weren't physically exhausted. They were spiritually exhausted. And on top of that, I believe, I believe they were discouraged. You see, they were tired of serving the world, tired of being peculiar, tired of being whispered about. They were tired of struggling spiritually, tired of, of keeping their prayer life going, tired of saying no to sin. They were tired of walking the walk, and some of them were considering taking a walk. And so a key verse in this sermon is Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12. And this really, this verse describes, um, describes what they were going through. The Hebrew preacher, like any good preacher, he reaches back into the Bible. And because he was preaching to Hebrew Christians, he reaches into the Old Testament. And he reaches, reaches into that very familiar Bible, a book in the Bible we know as Isaiah. And so he quotes Isaiah chapter 35, 
in verse number 3, where he says, Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Feeble arms. Their arms weren't outstretched to one another. Their arms weren't lifted up to God. No, their arms were, were hanging feebly by their side. Their weak knees. They weren't standing on tiptoe waiting to see Jesus, waiting to be with their brothers and sisters. No, their, their knees were just a little bit wobbly. I believe these Christians were struggling. They were struggling with so many things. And they were even starting to wonder, why should I keep showing up at church? Why should I keep meeting with the brothers and sisters? Maybe, maybe I should just stay home. Maybe I should just give up. They were struggling with a sense of their confidence. And maybe some of you are there this morning. Some of you are just a little bit discouraged. And you're wondering, what's the use and so that's the world this preacher was dealing with. And so this, this preacher, this preacher decides, decides to preach this, this message. You know, one of the things about our church, about church in general, not just our church, but just church in general in our world today, is oftentimes we're, we're tempted to keep things kind of superficial. Uh, often we say, you know, our, our culture's our culture's attention span is so short, especially with the advent of technology. I mean, you know, we're constantly clicking and moving from thing to thing to thing. Our attention span's short. And on top of all that, we're part of this post-Christian culture where people aren't as familiar with their Bibles as they once were. And so we have a hard time maybe wrestling with the rich biblical concepts and ideas. And so maybe someone says what we need to do is just kind of dumb it down a little bit. Let's tell kind of a, a sappy story. Let's beg everyone to try harder, and then let's just go home. Or we may resort to another strategy. And see, preachers, they love this strategy. They love this strategy because it works so well, at least for a short time. Preachers result to guilt. Maybe just, I mean, just, you know, really bear down on people. Make them feel very guilty. And they'll feel bad for just a moment or two, and maybe, maybe their behavior will change for a minute but the Hebrew writer doesn't resort to any of those strategies. He, he does something different. It's a better strategy. The Hebrew preacher decides to go deeper. He preaches to his congregation in complex theological terms as he's describing the nature of Jesus because he thinks if somehow these people can get a bigger view of Jesus, then it might just change how they think and live. I find this very refreshing, and this brings us to Hebrews 10. If you have your Bibles, open up to verse 19. So what do these tired, discouraged Christian men and women need? Well, they need to be reminded that now because of Jesus, we have this amazing access to God. And so in verse 19, he uses a significant word. He uses the word, therefore. That is, in light of the fact of all the things we've just read from Hebrews chapter 1 through Hebrews chapter 10, in light of all of that, in light of the fact that Jesus is a better sacrifice, was a better sacrifice, that Jesus opened the way to a better covenant, that, that Jesus offers us better promises. In light of all of that, he says now, now we can enter into the very presence of God. The 
Hebrew preacher calls this a new and better way. He says it's opened up through the curtain that is his body. You see, these initial Hebrew hearers of this sermon, they would have immediately thought of the world of the temple. They had gone to the temple. They had seen the temple. They knew that there was a series of outer courts at the temple. And when they thought of worship to God, it was kind of a a scary thing, and God was seen as distant. And they knew that, that in the temple there was the inner court, and then inside that there was the holy place and the most holy place. Only the priests could enter the holy place, and the high priest, he alone could enter the most holy place one time a year. That was on the Day of Atonement. They, they knew all of that. And they knew what happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross. They knew that when he died for our sins, that at that very moment, the curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place, this thick, heavy curtain, it was torn in two. Matthew tells us this, from top to bottom, as if to say, this is a work of God. This is what the, this is what the Lord is doing. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, he in fact is the curtain. We can walk through that curtain now. We can now go into that most holy place. Whereas before only one person one time a year could enter into the very presence of God. Now brothers and sisters, because we have been cleansed, because we have been made holy, because of the work of Christ on the cross, now we can enter into the very presence of God of God. These, these Hebrew Christians, they, they needed to be encouraged. And what was it that encouraged them? What would encourage them is for them to know that now they have access to God. Now they can have an intimate, close relationship to God. And so earlier the Hebrew writer would say, and he uses this word, let us. In fact, in our paragraph today, we're going to see that he uses the phrase three times. But earlier, in Hebrews chapter 4, Down around verse 16, he says, Then let us approach the throne, God's throne of grace, with confidence, so that, notice, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now we can approach God, I love that word, with with confidence. And when we approach God, God is not looking at us from a judgmental posture. No, it says, It's God's throne of grace. And what what happens when we approach the throne of grace? We find mercy, receive mercy, and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here's how the Hebrew writer puts it in our text, uh, down around in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us, then, he says, draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is so encouraging to me. Let us draw near to God with open hearts, with hearts that are real, with with full assurance. Why? Because we put our faith in, in God. Our hearts have been sprinkled, meaning we're clean inside. We don't have guilty consciences any longer. 
He says our, our bodies have been washed with pure water. He's probably relating this back to the priests. They would go through a series of washings before they went into the most holy place. But now we've been washed, we've been cleansed when we accept Jesus by faith in our, in our baptisms. And so you may be feeling discouraged today and it almost feels like God is a thousand miles away. I want you to know he is not. You have access to him. You can draw near. But there's something else that helps Something else I need when I'm discouraged, and that is I need hope. And so the Hebrew writer says in verse 23, let us, here's another one of those let us statements, we know that it's a sermon, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. What is hope? Well, I like this definition. Hope is the confidence in the future that impacts the present. That's what hope is. And the Hebrew writer helps us to understand what hope looks like by describing it to a, a rope, really. Imagine holding on to this, this rope, this unbreakable cable. We're involved in this struggle, but we're holding on to the rope. We've got one end, and the other end reaches into heaven. The other end is rooted in the promises of God. The other end is, links us into the very presence of God. And so when I'm in the midst of a struggle, when I'm discouraged... I need to look at all the beautiful promises, promises of God, because God is faithful. I like the promises that are listed in the Hebrews sermon itself. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, the Lord says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He's not going to leave you. Or how about verse 6, where he says, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I often think of this verse, especially as I prepare to preach. It's a daunting task. And I realize the Lord is my helper. And I will, I'm not going to be afraid when I stand up here. And, and what can you do to me anyway? What can mere mortals? That's what he says in this verse. And so all of these promises, I like the last promise where he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 8. Though we're part of a changing world where we see so much, so much is different from day to day, Jesus is the same. And he gives us a sense of stability. When I'm discouraged, I need to remember I can draw near to God. Jesus has opened up the, the way into the throne room of God. When I'm discouraged, I need to have this sense of hope that I find in the promises of God. But I need one other thing. You see, I need, I need other people. I need you. And so the Hebrew writer tells us, let us then, the final let us statement, let us then consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider, let us think about, let us ponder how we might spur one another on. How can we do this for one another? How can we be the kind of place that encourages each other, that spurs one another on toward love and good deeds? I think one of the ways we do it is through our words. Max Locato tells a story about the time he ran a half Ironman marathon. After he, he swam 1.2 miles, he biked 56 miles. He didn't have a lot of energy left to run the 13.1 miles he needed to run. And he found himself running next to this guy who was really discouraged. And as they're running along, this guy looks at him and says, This stinks. This race is the dumbest decision I think I've ever made. Lakato says, as he 
was responding to this guy. He said he had more complaints than a taxpayer at the IRS. I mean, he was really discouraged. And so what do you think Locato's response to this man was? What should it have been? Bye-bye. And he runs on, and he finds himself running next to this 66-year-old grandmother. And he said her perspective was so different. As he's running beside her, she says to him things like, you're going to finish this. It's hot, but at least it's not raining. One step at a time. Don't forget to hydrate. Hang in there. You're going to make it. And he said, I ran next to her until my heart was lifted. And I thought, that's what we do for one another. We run beside one another, and we help lift one another's hearts. And one of the ways we do that is through our words. Your words have the power to crush and destroy. I think one of the temptations we face is underestimating the power of our words. And so we think we can just say anything we want, whatever thing we, whatever it, we just say whatever we feel. We're not really concerned about how it's going to affect the faith or the life of someone else. As parents, we need to consider what we say to our kids. Oh, I know we get angry. I know they, they, uh, you know, they get on our last nerve, but be careful. Your words have incredible power. One of the ways we build each other up, spur one another on, is through our words. But we can also spur others on by our example. Lakato, as he finished the story, said he ran with her for a while until his pace started to slow and hers did not. He kept going, but she was going faster, and she looked over at him and smiled and waved, and he said to myself, if this 66-year-old grandmother can make it, I can make it. Her example was incredibly encouraging to him. And so our example is so important. The Hebrew writer, Hebrew writer knows our example was, was important. That's one of the reasons why we need to be together on Sundays. Some of the Hebrew Christians had stopped, had stopped gathering together. He says to them, don't give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. You know, when it comes to the assembly, a lot of times we make the mistake of thinking, it's all about me. It's all about us. Yet we gather this morning to praise God. We gather this morning to bless others. Emphasis is not on what we get from the assembly, but what we contribute to the assembly. Your mere presence here, friends, can be so encouraging. Just showing up can be encouraging to people. I met several people this morning before service began. Some folks who've had surgery, some folks who are struggling physically, one brother said, I'll tell you, it's taking everything I can to get here. And I thought to myself, your mere presence is such an encouragement to me. Because I'm around some people who will use any excuse in the world just not to show up. You know, a little tired. I, you know, I had a Saturday night event, so I'm not going to come. Yet here are people who are struggling physically. Maybe people who are older. They have aches and pains. And yet I find my older members are here sooner than just about, just about anybody. But your very, very presence is so encouraging. 
Or those of you who have young families, and I know it's hard to get here, and I, I remember those days having three little kids and trying to get them up and bathed and together. Oh, I know that. I know it's tough. And sometimes you come maybe a little late. That's okay. We're just glad you're here. And the mere fact that you're here, it says something to the rest of us. It is so encouraging. Your brothers and sisters need you. But your engagement finally also is encouraging. See, when I look around at people in this assembly and I see people sitting up and I see people, you know, nodding their heads, not, not this, but this, when I, when I see that, when I, when I hear you know, Richard saying amen and some others of you who might say amen from time to time too, when I hear that, it's so encouraging. I mean, there's nothing sweeter to a preacher's ears then when you're driving home a point, and then finally you hear somebody say, Amen. It's like you're saying, Yes, I agree with, with that statement. Engagement is encouraging. And so, friends, when I'm discouraged, I remember, I need to remember who Jesus is. That Jesus is both my sacrifice and my high priest. Jesus is both the Lamb who was slain and the priest who reigns. And because of Jesus, I can draw near to God. Because of Jesus, I can come in the very presence of God. And I can come not with timidity, but I come with confidence. Not in myself or my own goodness, but I come with confidence because I've been washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. When I'm discouraged, I need to know that I have a rope called hope. I know that sounds cheesy, but it's true. I have this, this rope and it's linked into heaven. It's anchored in heaven, Hebrews chapter 6. And I have all these incredible promises. I, I might not know what they, I might not, you know, feel them, but I need to be reminded of them. God is with me. God is here. God answers my prayers. He's not going to forsake me. And finally, friends, when I'm discouraged, what do I need? I need brothers and sisters who encourage me, who spur me on toward love and good deeds. And so when I show up on Sunday and I'm greeted by Tom Wallace or Mike Cotton or whomever, when I show up on Sunday and I see hugs and embraces, when I show up on Sunday and I look around and see some brothers and sisters who no doubt had a hard time getting here, I'm encouraged. And then we gather in this space and we get to praise God and hear from his word. And I get just a little bit of confidence to begin my week because I know God is with me. This morning, you may have come into this place very discouraged. We want to encourage you. We'll have two shepherding couples in the very back. As we sing this song in just a moment, they would love to meet with you and pray with you and offer words of encouragement. I'll be down front. If you'd like to meet with me, I'd love to meet with you as well. Today, we'd love to help you in any way we can. Let's be standing. Let's be singing.